What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, we don't have it this week because there's one more episode of Boba Fett. But man, it's ramping up and I can't wait to talk about that next yeah. week. The Mandalorian 2.5, so they say. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, uh, a lot of big stuff happening. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, we'll get into this more uh, next week. I feel like we've been talking a lot about Marvel and Star Wars and just like how their shows have differed in quality and Marvel shows have been way more hit or, hit or miss. And this felt yeah. like the first time that Star Wars was really going to miss. And then they just end up totally stealing the whole conversation in media for doubt. Uh, Dave Filoni at have. your own peril. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, can't wait to talk Star Wars next week, but we got a lot of music to get to this week as well as a couple of movies. So hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and uh, find the podcast on nostalgia or on nostalgia on Spotify. Search nostalgia and give us a five star review and rating on there. Um, yeah, let's start with with those Cadenas close to genius sold out arenas. You can suck on his two chains with don't. <laughs> Dope don't sell itself. Uh, no, it which don't. Is, yeah, it's actually factually correct. Uh, we haven't heard from from Mister Chains in two years, probably like what year and a half. I don't. I think. Yeah. So help me, God, ago. was November. So. Yeah. Mm, album like, seven. Sixteen months. Yeah, album seven feels like there should be more. We liked uh, rapper go to the, or go to the league. I think. Yeah. So help me, God. I think we were a little more lukewarm on. Correct. So following the the trend, potentially not the best direction, does Dope Don't Sell Itself correct that trend or continue that trend for you? Yeah, I'd say it leans closer to continuing that trend just because Dope Don't Sell Itself and So Help Me God just aren't as ambitious like thematically as pretty girls like Trap Music and Rapper Go to the League were his previous two albums before So Help Me God. So on the other hand, Two Chains is now 44, so perhaps it's okay to have lowered expectations for Mr. Chains. You know, I guess that's also partially a factor for me. Uh, but even like, you know, serviceable, basic level two change material per his own standards is still pretty solid, still usually pretty fun. So I'm not going to be mad at it, you know? And he's already proven himself to me uh, over these past records that like he doesn't have he's not trying to change my opinion at this point. And I, I think he didn't have the ambition to do that either. This is just kind of, you know, more of what he does best. And he's calling it his last trap album, whether that's the case or not. Uh, we'll, we'll see in time. But, you know, I think for what it was, it, it's perfectly fine. Thankfully, it's not too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, I think that was, I think your take is very similar to mine. I, I listened to it and I was like, there's some fun songs on here, some some very forgettable tracks. And that's basically all I was really hoping for from a, a Two Chains record at this point, especially one that we weren't super tuned into. I think this kind of came as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I was like, fine, this is fine. Um, you know, jumping through the the early tracks here, I liked a couple of them quite a bit. Um, I thought million dollars worth of game 
I really liked the production on that, the like high like whistle sound that kind of is all throughout and like very like I don't know bouncy and fun. Um, I think there might be a music video for that one too. And yep, uh, Two Chains just looks awesome in it. Um, I thought Outstanding with Roddy Rich was pretty good too. I see you bopping your head. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you're just writing down all the ones on uh, saying all the ones I wrote down. Uh, <laughs> million dollars worth of game. I thought 42 Doug's feature was really good. I liked the way Two Chains then dropped in on top of him with his verse sounded good. Yeah. Also Outstanding beats really memorable. Two Chains flow kind of classic uh, in a good way, you know. And Roddy uh, coming off a tough sophomore album, Live Life Fast. I thought Roddy uh, he didn't get in the way on Outstanding. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I thought I thought that was a good track. And then actually, from Outstanding to Million Dollars Worth of Game, Neighbors Know My Name has a Laffy Taffy uh, sample in it all throughout, mm-hmm. which I thought was was fun to hear. If not, maybe my favorite song on the album um let's see what else i don't know 10 bracelets even though i don't think like any of the lyrics on it really stood out it just is like more like upbeat like poppy sounding song so that definitely stood out to me mm-hmm. i don't know what else did you like i i also thought 10 bracelets stood out particularly two chains features and the beat although i do think the hook is pretty poor um th- those are those three are really the highlights for me on this i think pop music's totally fine uh, solid, you know, money bag yo. Uh, Caymans, though, man, I, I need Sway Lee rapping again, man. <laughs> That's just what I need. Srem Life 4 in the works. I need him and Jimmy rap because Sway Lee's <laughs> been singing a lot. Sunflower really ruined the man. I'm just not into it. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I, when, I, when I saw Sway Lee pop up, I was like hoping to get something different. That song just fell flat. Yeah. I don't know that. Just kind of in, in general, the the stakes for two chains in terms of albums feel so low that like you just kind of go into them, and if you get a couple of songs that you like, you're like ah, oh, that was, that was worth the listen. So right, uh, exactly. dope don't sell itself. I think uh, if you like two chains at all, go listen. You'll you'll find a couple of tracks that you like. Um, why don't we keep it rolling though, and go to Saba. Dropping, oh boy, I didn't write that one. Number album, this is for him. It's got to be uh, like three. Set. Only three? I thought he's, it seems like he's put out a lot more stuff, but yeah. Um, uh, Bucket List Project, Care For Me, and now a few good things. Those are like his major works. He has obviously some pivot gang projects. That's the most recent thing he's been on from 2019. But uh, this is his first, you know, full length since Care For Me, which came out nearly four years ago, April 2018. Yeah, and maybe that's maybe that's where my belief that, that this couldn't be only album number three from comes from is that he's been around for quite a while now. I mean, this is I guess six years since Bucket List Project dropped. Yeah. So to only get three albums is a bit I don't know, not like low output, but a lot a lot more people are putting out a lot more stuff than that. Yeah, I mean the breakout the breakout track for him is like ten near ten years old at this point. Hose with Mick Jenkins. Mm-hmm. That was like the huge like local chicago smash that you know led to him jumping on uh, acid rap with chance and the rest is history you know so he's been around a long ass time but he seems to be very methodical in his uh, his career he actually uh wrote an op-ed about a year ago on complex about 
his strategies and techniques and planning of being an independent musician and how he's made it into a sustainable career for himself. So definitely seems like a thoughtful guy. And part of that seems to be uh, taking his time with his music. Although there's been plenty of loose singles and features in the, in the interim, but the projects, yeah, they seem to take their time. Do you feel like the, the time between uh, care for me and few good things paid off with mm -hmm. a, a good album for Saba? Yeah, you know, I wasn't, I was not blown away by few good things. I was sufficiently whelmed. I think there's plenty of moments that <laughs> I, I liked familiar things he's done before. And in reflection, I was like, you know, I never loved the other two albums either. Appreciate a lot about them. Appreciate his talent, his abilities. And he makes a lot of songs I like. But I think for me, a few good things. There, there almost was like a grinding down of some of the edges, a little softer melodic sense here. Not that he hadn't done mel melody before. It's pretty popular within like that Chicago jazz rap umbrella that we associate Sabo with. But I think for me, some, some of these songs, I think were just a little, like a little, little too edgeless, like, like fear monger, one of those lead singles I thought was just a little, a little mad to me. However, there's still some things I liked. Um, I, I definitely like Sabo when he was more on, more on his rap shit. He was on the Pivot Gang album, and he's on, gets on that a little bit here on the album. Yeah, it's actually funny. Fearmonger is one of the ones I wrote down, um, just because I, I I like the the more upbeat, poppy sound of it. Mm -hmm. um, the hook, and I, and I think yeah, I think for Saba, I I think when I'm going into this album, I'm expecting to hear pretty strong lyrics uh mm. something smooth or something that you can kind of just like bop to um and i think the the moments in the album that worked the least for me but i i get the sense that maybe worked best for you were some of the moments like in the second half like mm. um uh, if i had a dollar something like that where it's a little heavier the, the sound is a little bit um yeah. like stronger and i i think we kind of were looking for different things in this album and probably feel differently about it. Cause I, I thought this was a really solid uh, showing. I, I don't think it's going to be like a best rap album of the year type thing, but yeah. I, I found this to be just a really pleasurable listen all the way through. Maybe sufficiently whelmed is exactly how I felt. And I right. just, yeah, it's not boring. Satisfied. Yeah, definitely not boring. Um, I think just, you know, like when I listen to this and I hear, you know, still with black and Smino, it's like, Oh, well, that song didn't do too much for me. I, you know, his song World in My Hands with Smino on Buckless Project is my favorite Buckless Project song. So inevitably that song is just not going to, you know, deliver for me having it go up against that. But I think just kind of simpler songs that like Stop That, which has a video. Those are just really good verses from Saba. The lyrics are still there, you know. Um, it's, it's been a while since uh, I believe it was his cousin who died and that obviously informed much of care for me. Still pretty present on this album, but he also, you know, I think kind of broadens that. But stop that, even though it's just simple rapping, it, it, you know, stuck with me there. I also appreciate Survivor's Guilt with G Herbo, just because yeah. that almost is like a nod to the two sides of Chicago rap music the past, you know, five, seven years with the Chicago jazz rap sound and the Chicago drill sound. Uh, obviously, G Herbo, a big part of that. So that one made sense to me. I like Soldier uh, with his fellow Pivot Gang uh, 
compatriots there. Yeah. Soldiers stand out for me as well. Yeah. And I also thought of Crazy Bone come my way. Saba and him sounded real good together, man. Shout out Bone Bugs. That, that, that was a good one. Kind of impressive. Yeah, you know, I, I think going back to Survivor's Guild, um, the intensity that Saba brings in that whole song and, and yeah. his verses, it, I, I saw some places kind of comparing it to like Kendrick, and it does very much have that Kendrick like energy to it. Um, I I also, like you mentioned, Soldier, I think the production on that is probably the best and, and most yeah, interesting production in the whole. Oh, yeah, the drums are amazing. Um, I liked One Way a lot, um, one of the first songs, and probably one of the, I mean, there's what, three tracks on here where he doesn't have a, I think only two tracks where he doesn't have a person with him, a feature yeah. on this. So um, I, for that to be one of the standouts for me, I thought was pretty impressive. I also thought his, um, him going back and forth, the black thought on few good things was pretty, pretty well done. You know, he, oh, yeah. he can kind of hold his own with anybody, which is, you know, Black Thought is no chump when it comes to that. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely saw a lot of the Kendrick comps with Survivor's Guild, but what immediately stood out to me actually was Soldier. I thought that hook definitely reminded me of something you'd hear in a Kendrick song mm. as well. So the inspirations are uh, are uh, well taken. You know, collaborating with Black Thought obviously speaks for itself. You know, yeah. I was just thinking, though, listening to this, you know, obviously it's been a while since we got a new Saba album. I just kind of thinking about like this type of Chicago rap, like where, where we stand with that. Like we talked about Mick Jenkins pretty recently, but if you kind of just think about everyone in this scene, no one has truly exploded. Like Saba has steadily grown and he actually talked about how like his biggest song now on streaming photosynthesis was not a big hit right away. Like he, he's pretty self-aware of that, but you think about like this whole scene, Chance the Rapper, not making music that sounded like this uh, on the big day too much, and also critically has come under a reevaluation recently with the music he's made. No Name doesn't seem to be super active as an artist right now. Her, her creative pursuits are definitely elsewhere, more in the activism space and yeah. everything that goes on with her. There's a lot going on. Saba takes a while to put out music. Mick Jenkins is you know pretty underground, pretty internet. Um, Smino, kind of the same deal. So it's just kind of funny to reflect on this group. Vic Mensa definitely not making Chicago jazz rap anymore. So yeah, it, it, kind of interesting to see where everyone's at. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I wonder, you know, as we think about uh, these rappers and how where they come from really informs their sound, especially coming up. Maybe Chicago rap just is not as uh, uh, popular or as transferable to the main mainstream success as it was back yeah, in the early well, the early 2010s. At least not like that. Now Chicago rap is uh, was Juice World and is Polo right. G. That's what Chicago True. is right now. So he's got to remember, like this Chicago jazz rap scene, that worldview is more 2016 than it is 2022. You right. just gotta gotta keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Always evolving. We're staying on top of it. We're gonna be throwing. Uh, a, a track from this album a few good things uh, onto our nostalgia best of 2022 so find that on spotify and give it a follow dave really excited to talk about this next record black country new roads ants from mm -hmm. up there man this is like one of the most bittersweet reviews i think we're ever going to do because mm -hmm. 
just yeah. four days before the album comes out. End of January, Isaac Wood, the lead singer of Black Country New Road, announces that he's quitting the band, um, alluding to mental health issues, saying he's been feeling sad and afraid recently and feels like he can't really give his best as the, the front man for the group and one of the lead guitars for the group while feeling that way. What was your just reaction seeing that? I mean, it's pretty gutting because uh, Wood is the most present creative force to listeners of Black Country New Road. The main vocalist, the lead guitarist of the seven-piece group, he's the one identity that I think is most recognizable. You know, his vocal performance is very unique and memorable on songs from that first album. So to have the band continue without him the band is going to be different, you know, yeah. like his vocals being gone is a huge thing. So obviously disappointing. Uh, hopefully he uh, finds peace uh, with this new change in his life. But uh, yeah, uh, from an art perspective, it's definitely going to be a big shift. I uh, completely agree. Um, you know, with a, a band that's, I don't want to say formless, but as uh, shape shifting as, black country new road and most of the bands within this like i don't know prog rock sound british post-punk yeah it's uh black midi squid and this it's it's very hard to really like point and say like what's the defining feature of that band you know they all the songs kind of have a, a different sense to them but yeah isaac wood's vocal performance whether it's coming across as like that raspy like melancholy or desperation or like a tongue-in-cheek like sneering joke half the time uh he just is so recognizable and completely the face of the band they are going to continue making music without him and they said that they're not going to play any of the old songs yeah, so north they, american tour canceled as a result huge bummer um so it's, it's interesting to see what the next form of the band will be um, i'm sure they'll be trying out a lot of new stuff and i think this makes this review especially hard because I think Ants from Up There is a complete success. Uh, I had their last album for the first time uh, on my top 10 from last year. Yeah. And shortlist for this, the Mercury Prize. They loved it in England. And this is, I think, way past it. I just was completely blown away. Um, not only because I think they, they maintained a lot of the uh, post punk sound with like the you know, like the formlessness of the songs, mm-hmm. kind of going whatever direction, but making it, I think, more accessible to people, absolutely just more enjoyable uh, overall. So instead of it being like, ah, I love that part of that song, the songs you just kind of melt into on this. I just, I loved it. How did you feel? Yeah, I agree. It, like with this, San, and not to just immediately compare them to their most obvious comparisons, but like sometimes with Black Midi, it's like, it's a little out there for me sometimes. Like I appreciate where they're what they're doing, where they're going, and it's pretty impressive to hear expansive records. But you know, it's not for everyone. But this though, it's like you know, this didn't this does not come across like the listening experience of this album has not come across as like something super wild. Even though there's no. seven people involved on the songs and there's tons of instrumentation and stops and starts and like everything that they were did well on the first album they're still doing it but for some reason the songs uh just seem a lot more uh re-listenable and uh, a lot of times they're 
at a normal runtime as well, which is which I appreciate. But just like right off the bat, you know, with Chaos Space Marine, like that opening just with those drums and the horns, the sax, like it's just it's like that that's the band right there. And that's even before Isaac Wood comes in and starts, you know, singing in, in like the way only he can, you know, with the yeah. memorable quotables and everything else. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, just even thinking about like the moments on this album that stand out most, they have the a lot of the songs have similar structure to uh, some of the best tracks off of for the first time, you know, things like the the huge lead up at the end with like all the instruments kind of yeah. whirring and spinning around each other. Shoes. But I think about like, uh, yeah, basketball shoes is a great example. Um, there's just like this, like the the piano comes in. I, I'm trying to f- find in my notes here which song it is, but there's one in particular. Maybe it's on. I don't think it's Goodwill Hunting, but oh no, it's um, it's Haldern. It's, it's Haldern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strings and then the piano kind of like rising and falling on that. It's just like, it's so like freeform, and you're like, this is you don't you have no idea where it's going, but it just kind of like keeps you in and like doesn't ever push you too far out to the edges, and it feels like erratic enough or chaotic enough, but not like uh extreme and I, th- I think it's just really impressive and yeah. you kind of match that with these like emotional swings every song and you're just like how does a band really capture something like this uh to, to perfection something that feels like it you're listening to it for the first time just kind of riffing in the studio but it's completely put together and there's there's form to it i don't know it's, yeah it's crazy exactly, exactly. yeah i think bread song is a great example of that where starts off really slow and quieter per this band standards and the strings come in and then there's like a complete like like sonic shift halfway through the song and then you have that like really memorable drumstick tempo like not not drumming but like the drumsticks making noise themselves it's there's just lots yeah. of cool moments on this you know like i remember there were so many funny lines from the first album this time around you get you know reference to billy eilish and stuff and yeah all, all throughout the album yeah ca- calling a song goodwill hunting in general uh, <laughs> yeah. which actually is probably one of the harder songs on this you know that, that's funny to me you know uh shout out gordon wood so yeah there's the, they're never boring which is no really admirable like it's not like i listen to lots of post-punk or math rock or anything like that i certainly don't but like you just throw this on and it's like, wow like this is just like there's a vision here that's just really really impressive absolutely and you know goodwill hunting i wanted to shout out i think that's probably one of wood's best vocal performances on the whole thing he's just like really reaching the edges of uh his his range throughout the whole thing um yeah i mean i i wrote down notes for almost every single song i guess just like i thought concord was great the ending of that just kind of like the saxophone driving it through and concord being i think the the emotional centerpiece of the whole album you know it's mentioned all throughout and kind of like who is concord and all this i thought was john atkins as well or however he says it so funny yeah (laughs) um yeah there's just a lot of really really great stuff on this um the drum build up in snow globe was a a really great moment for me just Mm -hmm. that's such a quiet song and those drums just fucking come out of nowhere amazing Mm -hmm. just yeah. Uh, if you if you don't like this album, I, I don't know what to tell you because this is probably the best rock music that's coming out right now. Yeah. Um, Mark's theme definitely reminded me of like a movie score, like yes. to a T. 
and uh-huh. pretty pretty nice to actually have an interlude do something for you you know absolutely um check out black country new roads uh ants from up there uh, i wonder when we'll, when we'll hear from them again i wonder if they'll make music and get it out quick or if they're gonna give this yeah. some space so th- this album came out almost like to the day one year after mm-hmm. album one so if they take a little bit more time i don't think anyone would blame them given the circumstances not at all um well we're gonna stay in the uh, i guess black country new road is indie rock technically and mitski yeah. is like the queen of indie rock yeah. um you know we, we unfortunately uh in my in my brain we talk about indie rock and i immediately go ah is it phoebe bridgers is yeah. it snail mail is it lucy dakins you know who is it and it's always Mitski. Like she's really always like mm-hmm. the the queen of it. Bridgers is like the pushing it, pushing the the crown and snail mail. Lindsey Jordan from last year, obviously we we loved that album and mm-hmm. check out our top ten from the end of last Waiting year. Wait for a new soccer mommy. Let's go. That's true, and soccer mommy can always just pop up and and take it. So, uh, a lot of people in this scene, but yeah. Mitski's the Laurel women dominating, especially yes. Laurel Hell. Um, I just an, another really quality album from Mitski. Did you feel the same way? I did. Album six. I I like this more than Be the Cowboy. It's been over three years since that. I think the reason I like this is because there's a lot of specific choices made on Laurel Hell towards a more like pop leaning as far as indie rock yeah. goes. And to You're me, of some the of only this... heartbreaker as you say this, I know it. Yeah, but a few other ones too. <laughs> to me, someone who's not a huge indie rock fan, when I hear indie rock that's like also putting its foot in a different puddle, I'm like, oh, you know what? Thanks for that. I appreciate this. You know, some of the best moments on Lindsay Jordan's Valentine, Snail Mail last year. I was like, yes, yes, this, this, this is hitting. And Mitski had a few moments on here. I was like, oh shit, I did not expect this. Let's go. And you know, it's funny, in the lead up to this album I was reading, uh, Mitski has had a huge streaming bump and really explosion in between albums, you know, and letting lyrically, it's interesting to think about this because after Be the Cowboy comes out, after she finishes touring that, she like goes completely dark. She's really open about not wanting to tour and stuff like that. See, and, and like that, that kind of I think like longingness and, and confusion about like your purpose definitely informs the lyrics on Laurel Hell. But in the meantime, when she was not promoting herself at all, her songs just started to explode on streaming. And this is before TikTok. She's now very big on TikTok, just like old songs like like TikTok was wanting to do. Like just indie rock is a huge niche on TikTok now. But this was actually happening before that. It's just kind of funny, like see like an organic streaming success. That's not completely TikTok based, you know, when, yeah. I wouldn't have expected it, but it happened. And now she has a new album that's probably going to keep it, keep the momentum going. I don't see how, how it wouldn't. Oh, uh, I think this is probably going to be her most streamed album. No doubt. It's, it's definitely the least indie of the albums. And, you know, when we talk about indie people, Mitski self-released her first two records. That's how fucking indie she is like yeah. she is as independent as they come so uh it is great to see her getting that success and the music speaks for itself on this man i mean i think working for the knife the first single off this is a really great song um you know kind of has that like waltz aspect to it in a sense um 
but just like the the churningness of it and like the way that the drums feel like you're just like on in like a locomotion or like a gears turning kind of i think is an amazing touch to the the lyrics of the song um you mentioned that the tracks that stood out to you most were when she was dipping her toes in other genres what yeah. what stood out to you well i just i'll note quickly heat lightning which is more traditional like indie ballad i thought was pretty yes. pretty good i like her performance on that but there's three three songs you mentioned only the only heartbreaker which is getting tons of attention for some 80s pop production 80s pop leanings that that one's evident but also i think love me more a tempo on that piano on that amazing yeah and then should have been me the the chorus in particular that vocal performance on the chorus that tempo is really catchy to me i think that was just a complete banger um those three songs really stood out to me and i think make the record really cool because it's a brief record but between those songs and then some more traditional indie some more traditional mitski songs you're actually going to get a lot a lot here and in the process of course you're going to get tons of mitski songwriting still so yeah i I liked it quite a bit like in the beginning you know up up until heat lighting i was like oh no it's a little little quiet a little soft not my thing and then it starts to change then it really changes when you hear the only heartbreaker like oh shit did not see this coming yeah I do have to say, out of those early tracks, I really like working for the knife and stay soft. I feel like it's pretty bouncy for a Mitski uh, track. And that was probably the first one where I was like, ooh, we might be getting something a little different on this. Um, yeah, you called out, it should have been me. I love the like swing feel of that song. Yeah. Like it just feels like you're kind of like dancing around the room, kind of really great. Heat Lightning, like you said, I think is a clear um, like standout for the old Mitski style. Uh, but the piano flourishes in it are really great. There's a, there's a lot here to like, and like you said, it's not a, it's not long. I think it's only about like ten, maybe eleven tracks. Eleven and, tracks, thirty two and a half minutes. And it just is. Uh, it, it it flew by for me. I listened to it a few times because you just kind of jump from song to song, and she she's got you, man. She's great. Mitski's amazing. So yeah. if you're not listening to her, be one of the people that found her and is streaming her now. She, she deserves it. Yeah. A uh, Damon Auburn would be impressed with this. She has a co-writer on only one of these songs. Everything else <laughs> is just Mitski. <laughs> oh God! And that's what uh, Patrick Hyland produced every single song as well. Uh, but yes. pretty impressive because again, there, there's a range of production. You have uh, in vogue '80s pop production alongside traditional, you know, softer indie rock production. So, kudos to him as well, Dave. We're going to wrap up our music there. But as I as I said, I know you already follow the playlist, but go to Spotify. Nostalgia Best of 2022. Hit that follow. Share with your friends. Tell them if they want to see up to date with the best music, that's where you do it. But you were able to make it to the movie theater this weekend to see Jackass Forever. I was not. I do have to say, really like the Jackass movies. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but whenever they're on, you always, you always got to watch. I, I I gotta say, probably my favorite one, Jackass 3D. Uh, it's, I think the, the most recent one, ten years ago. Yes, it, which is crazy. I remember. This is uh, the last I'll say about it. I'll I'll give you the floor. We took our uh, residents to see Jackass 3D as a, a program at Siena College. So shout out oh. to Siena, uh, allowing us to basically do whatever we need to do in order to get those programs in. That is a that is a good one for sure. Yeah. Education <laughs> of a lifetime. Uh, Dave, tell me about Jackass Forever. 
Yeah, man. Been 10 years. As you can tell, Johnny Knoxville, now gray. He let on that he'd been graying a long time and he just stopped dyeing his hair during the pandemic. Gotta say, the dude looks great. <laughs> However, not everyone is still here. Ryan Dunn, of course, tragically passed away in between films due to uh, drunk driving. And Bam Margera is not involved. He's having a lot of substance abuse problems. Paramount actually axed him uh, from the film. However, everyone else uh, is still here. You know, Jeff Tremaine, Spike Jones at the helm, Knoxville, Steve-O, Chris Pontius, Dave England, uh, Preston Lacey, Wee Man. The gang's all here. And I think crucially, there's some new blood as well, including uh, like the first, first female jackass performer, uh, uh, Rachel Wolfson. And what I like about Jackass Forever so much is it's just more jackass. There's no pretension about the film. It's not hyped up as the final one, even if it very well may be the final movie or at least the final one with this core group. Who knows? But it, it hasn't sacrificed the, the core appeal of jackass, which is truly like the, the camaraderie and, and, and the brotherhood of watching all these great friends take the piss out of each other and inflict serious pain on themselves. You know, it's like, it, even though it, it's a total dude fest and like the, they're all like a bunch of bros, it's been that way the whole time. It's not like a toxic masculinity thing at all because uh-huh. they're 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 the highlighting the stupidity of of being dumb dudes, you know. Uh-huh. And they all take their turns doing it uh, <laughs> themselves with their own bodies. So, I think if, if you've ever if you like Jackass, you'll certainly like this. But I think this one, like the emotional resonance of this, is like kind of even stronger because you can tell they're older but they also have more memory and they've just done more of this you know so right uh it, it just it has all those those qualities that i think you want from this and it's also i think important to think about where jackass started and where it is now because jackass is a pre-youtube pre-vine pre-tiktok thing you can find people doing jackass knockoffs all the time you know oh uh, yes yeah. like you know like the nelk boys and logan paul and mr beast oh. They, they they owe everything to these dudes let's be honest you know virality yeah, meant true. something very different back when jackass was on mtv so uh it, it's funny to see i think something like this still hit now when we can get like stunts of any variety at, at our fingertips now you know no totally the novelty is not what it used to be but i think this crew has so much like goodwill and history that it, it actually lands and makes it better so I, I really liked it. Uh, I got to say, uh, I think you make some really great points. And the, the TikTok of it all is really interesting because I know that they did a lot of advertising on TikTok in order to like draw attention to this. And this mm-hmm. does feel like the perfect type of movie to put on TikTok and do most of your advertising because you can just clip these small little stunts yeah. and put them out there and they go viral. It's amazing. Perfect yeah, for it's been 10 years since Jackass 3D, let alone the rest. Like a lot of Gen Z kids probably never knew what Jackass was, or they maybe saw clips and didn't actually know it was like this whole Jackass thing, you know? So yeah, if they can find that, that, that younger audience and keep this going, maybe with a new generation, I think that would be uh, awesome. Obviously. Um, you know, it has a lot of uh, Jackass forever specifically has a lot of things you associate with the other stuff right there are uh, celebrity guests there's a lot of celebrity guests in jackass forever but i think they all make a lot of sense like 
you'll see this one adds machine gun Kelly does a stunt. But I think that, you know, whether, however you feel about MGK, like a wild boy, his breakout rap song, you know, yeah, bitch call me steve-o like i think the closing of that circle makes a lot of sense oh you know? yeah and him great. and steve-o have done stuff before it's not like this is the first time but that one made sense to me also tyler the creator has a uh a big big performance in one stunt here which makes That's a lot so of sense because jasper dolphin of odd future and loiter squad fame is one of the new cast members on jackass forever definitely wow. came out of nowhere i was like oh shit that's jasper he's just doing jackass now you know jasper's dad dark shark also part of the crew halfway through the movie so yeah it made a lot of sense to get get tyler to do something too. watch tyler get electrocuted pretty funny you know (laughs) that that's fantastic yeah and that feels like such a like a pairing made in heaven like you talk about groups that kind of uh you know owe some of their success to them and Mm -hmm. odd future obviously more of a music group than anything but when they first were around they were doing a lot of this just like stupid guys being dude shit like this so yeah Mm -hmm. perfect pairing right there um any any particular stunts or skits that stood out to you mm-hmm. yeah well I, I think the opening of the film is really notable like you know the opening of the first movie they're like going down the hill in the huge uh shopping cart right like re- re- really an iconic one this time Brian, it's like more more of like a stage like costume like lampoon of a godzilla attack and everyone, everyone's like in the city and being attacked godzilla and then as you watch it you realize that godzilla's feet look kind of weird turns out Godzilla uh, prop for the, you know, the miniature that they shot on was actually just Chris Pontius's dick dressed up and his feet were actually Chris Pontius's balls painted green you know <laughs> there's a recurring bit about a animal ejaculate in, in the uh, throughout the film and uh, uh, Godzilla uh, kind of comes on everyone to kill them at the end of this opening bit so a lot, lot, lot of lot of male nudity that's not going away but there's a lot of animal ejaculate in this i don't want to spoil stunts too much uh, obviously it's best to see that for the first time but i mean i i was officially entertained this is, i actually didn't see jack s3d in the theater this is my first one seeing in the theater but i was laughing a lot and it, it's that same formula right like not, not every stunt every scene hits the same way but like they just keep it moving you know and like it just great like it just looks like they're having so much fun like you get some of the interstitial stuff where like uh steve walks out of the porter potty and he gets shot with a volleyball in the face you know shit like that obviously they blow up plenty of porter potties on unsuspecting victims as well all the things you expect um i won't spoil it specifically but there's a very memorable agita inducing stunt featuring steve-o and uh bees on his body i'll leave it at that and oh, no Oh, I think what's really important about these stunts too, sometimes it's like just basic toilet humor, just basic, like getting kicked yeah. in the balls basically. But other times they, they have the audience kind of tricked into a sense of sense of fear for the well-being of the cast member. Right. And a big part of this is stuff with animals. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff with animals in this uh, spiders, snakes, scorpions. Uh, and the thing was got a lot of press would be, uh, Jai Knoxville once again stepping into the ring with a bull and this time he uh got some uh serious brain damage after uh his contact with a bull this time around he goes to the hospital in the movie um wow yeah he, he talked about the brain damage in press it wasn't in the movie but um he seems to be uh doing okay but he had to do some like serious like like neurotherapy and stuff that improve his cognitive abilities after 
getting absolutely fucking wrecked by a, by a bull, as you can imagine. But um, <laughs> I think the other thing I really I really enjoyed was, like I said, like some of the celebrities are like really like used well. Like you'll see this in some of the press, like Francis Ngannou, uh, UFC heavyweight champion in the world, punches uh, Aaron in the nuts. And they lie to Aaron saying they're going to have a UFC lightweight show up. But that's fucking Ningano walks around the corner. And, like, you can see like the fear. He's like, oh my God, no, that's a heavyweight. And Knoxville's like Googling. He's like, Francis Ngannou punches the hardest of anyone in the UFC. It's like <laughs> they they never uh, like hold back on like ripping on someone who's getting totally abused because mm-hmm. eventually it'll be their turn to get yeah. totally shit on too. You know, uh, PK Subban in the NHL hits yeah, Aaron in the shot. nuts with a slap shot right after the scene with Ngannou. Oh. Like, they, they, they fucking terrorize each other, man. Um, I'd say for the most part, the new cast is pretty game. Uh, some people you might have seen before, like Zach Holmes and um, this guy named Poopies. Like, like they all do, uh, uh, do, uh, do, I think, pretty well. And, and, and this has been a comment in a lot of reviews as well. Like, this stands a lot for Rachel is these these newer cast members are like so game to be part of the crew and, and get get fucked up by these crazy stunts right and it almost kind of speaks to the new generation where like everyone is so exposed to seeing this stuff all the time if they want to and the whole like just do it for content thing uh gotta get the content that we know well on youtube but like e- everyone young kind of understands that premise right flash that back to way back in the day where it's like knoxville's like pleading with bam to do a stunt because they need the footage right it, it, it's again it's really funny to think about like where jackass is how far now, they've come it's still fucking effective dude it's great <laughs> uh man i mean i i can't wait to check it out at some point um it, it sounds fantastic and uh, it's just nice to have them back too and it seems like the people that they have back are all in like a decent place which is good and the people who uh, are staying away hopefully they're, yes they're steve sober. A been sober a while which is great any uh any uh, just real quick any classic or maybe like favorite stunts from the past yeah oh that, yeah go ahead what, what what are some of yours i mean I, the only one that really comes to me i mean i really love the the high five one where steve was walking down the hall and the huge hand like knocks him out that, that classic been going around yes a lot. but <laughs> the one that like sticks to me the most is like a gross one uh the big fat guy in the group um preston what's his name preston yes He's in this like sweatsuit on a treadmill. Oh and they yeah! Make them drink the sweat from his balls. Oh my god, dude, that has literally scarred my brain, and I will never get that image out of my head. Yeah, absolutely awful. I'll be, I'll be on my deathbed, and I'll be thinking about that shit. It's right. Terrible. Yeah. What about you? There's a lot of famous ones, uh, like like Electric Avenue, where they just make like Bam and a bunch <laughs> and a thing done, and a bunch of guys just like run through this hallway in like the paramount offices it's like not even like anything fancy just run through all these like cattle prodders and yep. stun guns and shit just get absolutely fucking wrecked you know stuff like that's hilarious but even like really simple stuff like uh watching steve-o snort a bunch of wasabi up his nose at a sushi restaurant <laughs> like man, oh, man. Like, just even thinking about that makes my like yeah. sinuses run that's terrible there's a lot of good stuff with animals. I, I think in the bulls in the past, uh, the Toro totter one, which I think is from Jabcast oh, two, yeah. where there's four guys on you know, two connected teeter totters, and they're basically like going back and forth to avoid getting fucking hit by the bull. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone abandons, and Knoxville's like staying on as long as humanly possible until he's about to get gored, and the rodeo guys have to like save him. 
the, the commitment, man. Also, I couldn't find this on YouTube this past weekend. I think it's a Wild Boys um, scene of some kind, which is the Pontius Stevo spinoff on animals. But there was one where it must have been Pontius or Stevo, like walking around until they could find the electric eel to grab and get electrocuted. Like they, they do some gnarly shit with animals. And they go all out, man. Like just thinking about how painful this stuff is. So you just have to like have no fear, I guess, a lot of the time. I, I don't even know how they do it. Amazing. I stuff. know. I know. Uh, well, uh, Dave, you got to see Jackass uh, forever, which sounds great. Um, I watched Moonfall, as did you. And yes. uh, I, th- I think you got the better end, end of the, the Jackass stick there, man, because uh, <laughs> Moonfall, rolling uh, Emmerich's newest uh, end of the world disaster film, big stinker in my, my book. Um, only made about $10 million this weekend yes. globally. Um, Tough. And, you know, the, when you think about, like, some of Roland Emmerich's more recent films, stuff we haven't really talked about, it, the story's kind of been same genre, dwindling budget. How is he kind of making this still work? And I think this almost feels like where the budget, like, uh, kind of, like, caught up to him in a sense. Um, not only because... They get Halle Berry and, and Patrick Wilson, and that's pretty much it for the film. It feels like there's not a lot of other like big name stars. Shout out John Bradley filling in for Josh Gad, Sam yeah. Hartley himself. But man, I, I feel like Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson just mail this shit in. To be honest, yeah. I thought their performances were really Halle Berry or Hallelujah. <laughs> and I, I thought the CGI, save for a couple of scenes, was pretty underwhelming, and also just like the plot. So ridiculous. I don't know. Overall didn't work for me. How did you feel about Moonfall? So I I was entertained with Moonfall for a, a big chunk of it. I'm willing to entertain like a script with way too many characters and very uneven performances from some of that supporting cast. I'm willing to like let all of that go if it like keeps its momentum and is like broadly entertaining. Because I think Emmerich's like at his best, which is obviously in the past now at his best he could really like handle this like disaster spectacle in an impressive way obviously his best movie is independence day but yeah. also like day, day after, after tomorrow, tomorrow and even something like 2012 like the, this the, the the sheer like spectacle of morbid destruction on a global scale i always thought he did it pretty well i think probably what a lot of people are talking about now though is that like seeing this kind of big spectacle with big cgi and all this shit at a global level well it's not as new as it used to be he's not the only uh you know guy on the street doing this so it's not inherently special and when when you know there's script issues and uh other problems with your film spectacle isn't gonna sell it enough so it's funny to kind of think about where he was and now where he is a lot was made about this movie being one of the biggest independent you know, films ever where it's not actually a studio film, but you just kind of secured money from everywhere. China, Lionsgate, Germany, basically whoever would give him money, he's like, sure. And you can tell like in Moonfall, there's some really notable Kaspersky antivirus product placement in here. Uh (laughs) Uh, But I think (laughs) with me, I was with it for the first half where it's like kind of committed, you know, kind of going to do some kind of Armageddon thing, how we stop right. the moon from falling on the earth. 
Got a new to moon. Yeah, a good title, by the way, Moonfall. But then the second half is, oh, this is not what I thought was going to happen, where we learned about the true origins of the moon. I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a huge sci-fi element to this. I thought the disaster, human interest, human survival stuff was good enough. Um, So I just didn't expect that kind of flip, that kind of turn, you know? It it totally lost me at that point, uh, not going to lie. And, uh, you know... (laughs) I think there are some like fun parts of this, but there's so many extra things, you know, whether it's Patrick Wilson and his relationship with his, is it his, is it his stepson or is that just his like a strange son? Cause he's like a disgrace Ashna. I forget. It's, it's not his stepson, right? No, Wait, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's Patrick, Patrick Wilson's son. And then the stepdad, the, the, the new dad, like some of those moments, like the, the father son aspect yeah. of it. Michael I felt Pena. totally, totally felt flat. Um, I thought the the like commentary on like um, I don't know conspiracy theorist was like kind of an interesting thing to put in here, and the conspiracy person being uh, like like right, but also then like the savior at the end. And I also just I, like I was way more interested in the sci-fi element of like the disaster on Earth than like this black you know, whatever it was swarm out there in space. And what was going right. on with that? That such a like, non-entity. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, and then Haley Berry's in this, but I, I really also feel like she's just kind of like there. Like, I, I guess she gets a lot of like shine kind of making the decisions like, are, how are we going to stop this? Like, what's, what's the call? And I don't know, but overall, I just found it to be completely underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and like at the end, like I think there's a lot of like room for fun stuff, like when the moon is like really fucking in orbit, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. the 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 rotation is so quick, and like they're playing with gravity. I think there was a lot of room for like cool spectacle and stuff, but like we're just watching, like you know Charlie Plummer and Michael Pena, like like you just don't care about all those other characters down there on Earth while it's happening, and didn't actually do anything super interesting with it um one other question i actually noticed is they keep using sat phones satellite phones implying there were still satellites that could uh you know yeah I don't think finish those calls <laughs> obviously i'm willing to 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 Spend let, throw logic out the window but it actually just knows yeah. things like there's no way any satellites were left with the moon that close so how do these phones work <laughs> yeah i don't know uh definitely disappointing but this is what you get with uh january and early february movies so um it's cheesy better better times ahead although i think i think next week we have some potential stinkers as well right dave uh we'll see got a death in the nile kenneth Branagh. i have high hopes for it given the cast we'll see how good it is bird on the orient express you know pseudo sequel also on HBO Max, the third Steven Soderbergh film, Kimmy, starring Zoe Kravitz. That'll be good. Obviously hoping it's good. We're also talking about the end of The Book of Boba Fett and new music from Snot and Benny the Butcher and Spoon, as well as a Super Bowl Boom. halftime show. A lot of good stuff coming up. Also, Netflix's Inventing Anna comes out, so we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Yeah, I think things are ramping up, and hopefully the movies will be uh, catching up as well. But, you know, Jackass... For a February drop, very welcome. Absolutely. Dave, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you uh, two things. Super Bowl halftime show, do you think it will be good? 
I hope it's good. I think it's a great idea. LA Super Bowl, Dre centered acts with the Dr. Dre umbrella, Snoop M, Mary, Kenny. I think it makes a lot of sense. I hope it's good. Yeah. Me too. Looking forward I, to it. I have high hopes. I also think um, because it is like the first, I, I guess like Jay-Z is like the first like hip hop person to to do it, right? Didn't he do a halftime show? No, he's never done it. He's never done it. Okay. So I guess enough? it's like the first, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, mean, I was thinking, didn't he come like, out with Beyonce at one point maybe? No, I don't think he did. It was Bruno. Remember? The second time of Coldplay was Beyonce yeah. and Bruno Mars. You're right. First time was Beyonce and Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there hasn't really been anyone like hip hop except for Travis Scott with Maroon Five. Was that the it, first one? It must be. Uh, I mean, if you count MIA back in the day, I don't really Did remember Eminem her do set. It? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, man, I don't remember some of them. The weekend didn't have any guests. No. No. So yeah, I, this will probably be the first hip hop one, which I expect. It's a hundred percent hip hop one. That's for sure. It'll get a lot of people probably talking in ways that are not very nuanced or uh, well thought out. So excited for that discourse. Second, Dave, Super Bowl prediction. Let's hear it. Mm, Tough one. I'm going to go with the Rams, man. Bengals line is shit. Uh, LAD line is anything but. So that is the battle to watch. Plus you get Ramsey on Jamar Chase. So Uh, it should be a good game. I think uh, if if you're making any bets, if you're in a state where you can bet legally, uh, probably putting some money on the Odell and T Higgins overs seems pretty good safe, idea. Mm-hmm. So go, go with those for yards. Anyways, uh, we're going to wrap up there. We'll catch you next week. Peace out. Hey.